welcome to the Science at the Local podcast. I'm Hamish Clark. And I'm Kevin Joseph. And for all of our listeners, um, you should send uh, Hamish a wonderful email just cheering him up. His Golden State Warriors were a bit unlucky in Game 7. Look, uh, I am still recovering from that. But uh, look, you know, they've had a good two years. They could have won, should have won, but didn't win. So congrats to the victors. But let's move right along. Uh, so I really enjoyed having a chat with Dr. Alice Williamson. She's a postdoctoral research associate and teaching fellow in the School of Chemistry at the University of Sydney. Uh, she works on a really interesting project called the Open Source Malaria Project. So she's studying malaria, trying to come up with some new drugs for it, but a little bit of a different approach where all of their data and everything that they're doing is completely transparent and posted online for anyone to use at any time. Ah, that's really useful, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, Oz, oh, she follows up on that wonderful talk by Elizabeth New um, at the last science at the local. Exactly. There's some superstars in the chemistry school there at Sydney University, so it was great to talk to Alice. And she's not only a talented researcher, but she's a really good communicator. She won uh, a prize last year uh, put on by Radio National and University of New South Wales uh, celebrating young researchers and trying to get them uh, into the media. Uh, and she's got a little spot on FBI radio too. So tune in and you can hear about that. Next Science of the Local coming up July 24, Zombies and Science. Uh, not Science. Zombies and Sleep. Sleepy Zombies. Sleepy Zombies. <laughs> okay. Enjoy and thank you. See you all soon. See you soon. So maybe I could start by asking, uh, what exactly do you research? Um, well, I'm part of the Open Source Malaria Consortium um, that Associate Professor Matt Todd started in 2011. Um, and what we're doing is we're trying to look for a new medicine to, to treat the ma malaria parasite, to kill the malaria parasite. Um, and we're very much like a traditional medicinal chemistry project in that we're looking for a new drug. The difference is, the big difference is that all of our research is published online um, straight away, um, which means that anyone can see what we're up to, um, anyone can participate, and anyone can use any of the data that we generate as part of the project. Great. Um, so if I can backtrack a bit, uh, we still need new malaria drugs. Yeah, we do. Unfortunately, we do. So um, the cases of malaria each year are um, in decline. So we've, we've had some really great progress since 2000. So, um, for example, the figures for 2015 were that we had over 200 million cases of malaria and over 306,000 deaths. Um, and sadly, most of those people who died were children under the age of five. But that has come down from around 720,000 um, in 2000. Uh, lots of thousands there. But um, It's still quite a lot. There's still a lot of people um, who are suffering from and, and dying from a disease that is really entirely preventable. Um, and one of the main um, treatments, malaria, or the frontline treatment, is actually... Um, artemisinin combination therapies. So this is a, a drug, a medicine that has its origins in, in Chinese medicine and some of the research towards the use of artemisinin actually resulted in the, uh, the sharing of the Nobel Prize back in 2015 
uh, for Professor Tu Yu Yu, who's um, a, a scientist from China. Um, and artemisinin, in, in combination with other medicines, is really good at killing um, many of the strains of the parasite. But um, very worryingly, um, there have been um, reports in five countries in Southeast Asia of the emergence of resistant strains um, of malaria. Damn, and so we have to get some new medicines um, that can, can that, sorry, some new medicines that can kill uh, these resistant strains of malaria before um, you know they move to somewhere like sub-Saharan Africa where the majority of cases are, and that would be, you know, a disaster in terms of treatment. So we need medicines for sure. So can you talk a little bit about the open source stuff then? Um, that's clearly a big deal about this project. Um, why is that new? Why, why isn't that the norm in science? Well, um, to, to find a new medicine is really expensive. So that's one of the things. So um, some figures that we've had um, we've seen in, in, in journals have, have said that it costs around 2.6 billion US dollars to bring a drug to market and it takes on average 12 years. Now what's a little bit concerning about that figure up as well as the fact that it's such a large amount of money in such a long time is that um, comparatively only around 1.3% of that figure is spent on research and up to 25% is spent on marketing. So we really think that um, it's time to start looking at some new models of drug discovery, particularly when it's for a disease um, that has a very low market incentive. So malaria is an example of a disease um, that mainly affects people who are, who are poor, people from um, less economically developed countries. And so um, it seemed like the combination of, of really needing a change in the model to look for medicines and also really needing this for people who, who can't afford to pay um, over the odds for medicine. So malaria seemed to be uh, you know, a really good target to explore. Um, and as part of starting this project, Matt Todd um, set up the Six Laws of Open Research, nice. um, which you can check out on our website. But essentially what they, yeah, essentially what they all mean is that we don't own our data. We won't take out any patents or patents, depending on how you pronounce that. And um, also that all of our data is open and, and all of these ideas are shared in the community. So we're trying to show that there could be a new model um, to look for new medicines. Um, and of particular concern to us is um, if people are scientists are working in different laboratories all over the world, because there's lots of people doing malaria research and all all types of research, if there are people who are working on the exact same thing at the same time without knowing that somebody else is doing that, that's an incredible waste of resources, both people's time and money um, and, you know, taxpayers' money. Um, and that's bad enough if they're both working on something that's working really well. But imagine if they're both working or if multiple groups are working on the same drugs and they turn out to be useless. Well, that's you know really devastating. Um, uh, we think for the the community, so we need to try and um, find better ways to collaborate, and hopefully that would lead to the discovery of medicines uh, more quickly. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, how how's the how's the project uh, and I guess the new model been received generally? Are you getting a lot of support? Is there resistance from some quarters? 
Um, you know, this this um, resistance is probably um, less from the places that people might think. So, for example, people often ask us, you know, what does big pharma, what does the pharmaceutical industry think about this? Well, the origins of our project actually started with a paper that was published by GlaxoSmithKline, which is a, a huge um, pharmaceutical company. And what they did, it, did is they actually published, um, they screened um, millions of compounds and found uh, 13,500 compounds from this screen. So they can do really big, high-throughput screening in these uh, companies. They found 13,500 molecules that were active against the malaria parasite, meaning that they could kill the malaria parasite. And they put all of this data into the public domain and basically said to people, you know, go and use this data. And so the first um, three series of compounds, the first three sets of molecules that shared some common features, all came from, from this paper. Um, and sadly, we weren't able to um, progress those drugs to the next stage of development, but we learned a lot about those molecules. And now we're working on a new series of compounds that have their origins in Pfizer, uh, which is another big pharmaceutical company. So um, sometimes resistance maybe comes more from academia than it does from industry. And then obviously there's lots of people who like the idea or who are a bit worried about the intellectual property or you know, the, the safety of the data. But so far, I mean, our project is a big experiment in itself. So we're learning how to um, navigate some murky waters or how to do things better every day. So the project is an experiment and all of our work is experimental too. Scientific on many levels. And that must be uh, interesting or exciting for you to be not just doing the science but also trying this new model, as you say. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely very exciting and um, it really gives you an increased motivation when you're sharing something because you owe it to, you know, to more people to do a good job. Um, and what we've been trying to do is to get lots of different people involved. So there are people around the world contributing to this project, um, chem informaticians. These are people who are very good at looking at chemical data. And, what was that uh, word you said, sorry? Chem, chem informaticians. So it's chem informaticians. Pe people okay. who can look at huge data sets. So for example, for a molecule that we test, we, we test activity. So we test how efficiently it can kill a parasite. That's the first sort of benchmark test. And then there are all sorts of other tests that a potential drug has to go through. So it has to be soluble enough to go into your blood and be absorbed into the into the right parts of the, of the body to reach uh, its target. It can't have too many nasty side effects because we want it to kill the malaria parasite. We want it to have um, minimal other side effects. You know um, that you know there's countless other other um, uh, tests that we have, and trying to make sense of multiple. Uh, sets of data is a, is a real challenge and, and looking at you know big data sets and manipulating them is something that we need help with. That's where the chem informaticians come in. That's where they come in and, and you know do a great job um, and then obviously biologists who are testing the molecules that we make in the lab and one of the most exciting things has actually been that um, some high school students at Sydney Grammar School have yeah. made some molecules, some yeah. undergrads at um, Sydney Uni and some undergrads in uh, the States, um, so at Haverford College, and 
College, Haverford College, MCPH College and Lawrence University have all made um, some molecules or are busy making some molecules at the moment. So what we've tried to do is to show that um, by being open and sharing our data, it really does lower the barriers to participation um, because if you can see the data, then you can, you can really contribute to this project rather than just seeing the results that are cherry-picked at the end and perhaps put into a journal. Sure. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the Australian Research Council is doing a, a consultation at the moment on research impact and I guess broader definition going beyond traditional academic measures of excellence into impact in society through industry, government, community, etc. Uh, it sounds like you're probably a believer that those kinds of impact measures are, are important. Well, I think so, yes. There's, there's been um, um, some discussion about um, impact factors. And uh, so, th so um, for anyone who might not know what they are, basically um, scientists publish work in journals and it's, it's an important part of our, um, of our process, really, because we, we submit work to journals um, and then the, the journals send out our work to be reviewed by experts who then assess whether that data is good enough or strong enough to be published. And depending on how highly ranked the journal is and um, how well um, the papers received, that can give um, basically uh, data that's based on the scientist or the data that they've published. But this is only one quite old way of assessing the impact of work. And it also can be a little bit unfair or um, end up, it can be quite difficult to compare the, the, um, the different impacts of data. So, yeah, we're really, we really think it's important. You know, you, you can't, um, we don't think you can rely just on these traditional impacts um, at all. And really getting people excited um, and involved in science and um, really increasing people's understanding of the science that we do with the money we get from the taxpayers we think is really important. Yeah that's great well that, that brings me probably to um, maybe the last thing we can touch on I know you've got a background in science communication so that obviously fits in very well with this idea of uh, you do science but you want to actually interact with the world around you and, and communicate to them can you tell us a, a little bit about that? Oh yeah, well, I, I think that's really important. I enjoy it very much, so that's that's what one of the the main reasons I, I like to um, to try and do as much science communication as possible. And also, um, one of this is a bit of a cliche, but it's it's really true. I think anyone who's ever um, lectured or tried to explain some science, whether it's in the, in a lecture theatre or in the pub. Um, when you have to explain something to someone, you really have to understand it. Um, and it means that you often go and do some research on something you thought that you understood or somebody asks you a question um, on the radio or in the audience that you don't know the answer to. And it really increases your, you know, your, your sense of inquiry and your knowledge of, of, of the field um, or of science, really. So I think it's one of those things where it's, it's really wonderful to be able to explain something but you also learn so much yourself through doing it and uh, I, I yeah that's why I really enjoy it. Mm. So um, uh, what are some of the things you've done? I know that you uh, were a part of the top five under 40 uh, scheme last year or can you tell us about that or some of the other things you get up to? 
that was a wonderful initiative that's continued this year and um, that was run by or is being run sorry by ABC Radio National and UNSW um, and I got the opportunity along with four four other um, scientists to spend a couple of weeks at the ABC um, and to work on making a, a segment for Radio National for the science show um, and also to write a couple of pieces for Science Online and really to um, just begin to understand the process by, uh, by which um, uh, the ABC and other organizations might look for science stories, how they will explain um, science. Um, and that was a really, really great opportunity. Um, and I also have a weekly um, segment on FBI radio in Sydney. It's called Up and Atom. Um, and it's on uh, Up for It, the uh, radio, the breakfast radio show every Tuesday. Um, and we basically look at a couple of science stories that have um, piqued our interest during the week and, and discuss those. Is there any danger of you jumping ship permanently and becoming a communicator? Or are you, you happy to stay in science mostly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Great. Well, look, uh, I really appreciate your time, Alice, and uh, all the best with your project and uh, all the various other ways you're having a, a good impact. Thanks very much. Lovely to speak to you, Kate.